I've been really enjoying this series on Acts. And again and again, the thing that keeps coming back to me and that strikes me time and time again of the disciples, of the followers of Jesus, is their radical obedience to what they feel like God's telling them to do. It feels like time and time again, these guys are told to do something by what they think the Spirit is telling them to do, and then they act on it, no matter what the consequences might be on themselves. And you see that as one of the main reasons why the early church exploded in such a way 2,000 years ago, why we see these churches just spring up all over the place. It was because of the obedience of these followers at the beginnings of the early church. And it's remarkable to watch how they hear the voice of God and then act on the voice of God straight away, no matter what the consequences might be for their life. Now, I don't know what you're like when it comes to obedience. I'm not actually that good at obedience, but apparently as British people, we're quite an obedient bunch. My sister-in-law um, is a TV presenter and she produced a series of short, um, short kind of episodes for BBC Three, basically on human behavior. And one of them was on obedience. And what she did was she went to Brighton Beach wearing a high-vis jacket and walked about the beach basically telling British people what to do on the beach. She had no authority to do it whatsoever other than the fact she was wearing a high-vis jacket. And she was going up to grown adults and telling them, the current's pretty strong today in Brighton Sea. You're going to need to wear these bright red armbands. And she had all these people putting armbands on, film the whole thing. She's got grown men putting T-shirts on because she's telling them off about sunburn. And she even gets some people to put their fingers on their nose and stand on one leg to prove they're not drunk in the morning on the beach. She got them to do all manner of different things. And the amazing thing about this little short documentary was that people just went along with it. People seemed to just be compliant to whatever she seemed to say simply because she was wearing a high-vis jacket. And the thing is, obedience seems to be hardwired into the human condition, particularly for the British people, because British people like good order and we like obedience. But on the whole, I think there's also those of us that hate being obedient. And we tend to exist on a scale from people-pleasing to being incredibly rebellious. I don't know where you are on that scale, but the people-pleasers tend to just go along with what the rules are. These are the people that really actually do avoid the grass when it says don't walk on the grass. Or the people on the plane when they're told to turn their mobile devices off actually turn their mo- Who does that? Actually turns their mobile... My wife does that every time. Actually turns their mobile devices off. These are the people that generally quite like to keep the peace and actually probably have quite a peaceful life as a result because they're not coming up against authority the whole time. They're not causing chaos. It tends to be fairly ordered. But then, of course, there's a dark side to obedience, isn't there? Particularly as we look over history and the abuse of authority amongst the nations and in different ways. There's the horrible um, experiment that Milgram did in the 60s, post-Holocaust. They were trying to work out how did such an evil regime get normal people to carry out such evil acts. And they did this experiment and they realized that actually humanity in so many ways is hardwired to be obedient no matter what the consequences that actually we can be coerced by corrupt authority to do horrible things. And then, of course, there's the rebels. And the rebels like to think of themselves as heroes. They kick against the grain. They don't do what they're told to do. They have fairly chaotic lives as a result, and it's all quite warlike. It's like they're constantly fighting. They don't turn their phone off, because if a plane can be taken down by a single mobile phone, then we probably need to redesign the plane. It's ridiculous. What a stupid thing to think of. But we don't tend to go like along with the flow. And in a sense, in some ways, that's really positive. But in other ways, it actually results in incredibly chaotic life. 
and we see actually people just acting out and not kind of being um, complicit or going along in obedience simply because they like the idea of not going along with authority and kicking against the grain. The thing about obedience is it's a minefield. In many ways, it can be positive, but in many ways, it's confusing. And in many ways, it's actually really hard to get our heads around. Yet, obedience also seems to be incredibly important in the human life. Because who or what we're obedient to actually determines the direction and the purpose of our life. In one sense, we're all obedient to something. Whether we're obedient to authority or not, if we're not, we tend to actually be compliant to our peers, what our peers say. If we're not compliant to our peers, we tend to just conform to the majority. We make time and time. We are all obedient to something. And what we find with obedience is these decisions that we make time and time again throughout our lives tend to lead us in a certain direction with a certain purpose and a certain goal. See, our life could be described as a series of obedience crises, if you like. So there's like the, the toddler crisis, where at the toddler stage, you suddenly realize that you're separate from your parents. You're not one and the same as your parents. You help, I'm not my parent. And then there's the teenage stage, where you suddenly realize that you want nothing to do with your parent. You think, help, I want nothing to do with my parents, and you rebel the other way. And then there's the middle age crisis, where suddenly you realize, help, I've become my parents. And it's a tragic moment that I'm actually going through right now. The thing is, there's all these decisions we're making. Which university are we going to go to? Are we going to go to university? What subject are we going to study? What career should we pursue? pursue? Where should we live? What relationships do we invest in? How are we going to make all these decisions? Who are we going to be obedient to? Are we obedient to authority structures? Are we obedient to our peers? Are we just compliant in that we go along with the majority of what people think we should do? And I think the problem, the main problem of obedience is in all of it, we actually lose a sense of the bigger picture. And I think that's what's going on in the midlife crisis. How have I got where I am? What is my purpose? What is my general direction? What is the goal of my life? It's easy when we think about all these little decisions that add up over our lives to work out what the greater narrative is and lose our purpose, our direction as a result, even more so when the going gets tough. When certain things like we think we should do or that are right to do, actually we don't do simply because it's going to cause negative consequences on us and other people and we don't do it and it throws us off track. And as I said, one of the remarkable things about the group of disciples, Jesus followers in the book of Acts is how doggedly determined they were to be obedient to the voice of God in their life. And as a result, what you see, and this is why the early church exploded with such great power, you see a group of people moving in the same direction towards the same goal. So how is it that they were so obedient? Well, let's just uh, have a little look at this story again. Harnik, thanks for reading it. There's lots of weird names in there, and it's very long. And basically, last week, the context of it was Peter and the apostles were performing incredible signs amongst the people. So much so, and we talked about this idea of contagious holiness, the contagious presence of God. So much so that people would literally lay their sick out on the streets in the hope that Peter's shadow might pass over the sick, and the sick would be healed as a result. There were incredible things happening. But what you've got to remember is just a few chapters before, the apostles have been expressly, particularly Peter and John, have been told by the religious authorities they weren't allowed to speak in Jesus' name, and yet they carried on doing it. And they didn't just do it in their own homes, they were doing it in the temple courts. This was exactly where the religious authorities were, day in, day out. And as a result, 
inevitably they get themselves arrested and they're thrown in jail. So the apostles, all of them now, not just Peter, all thrown into jail. And during the night, an angel comes and releases them from jail and gives them a command. Go stand in the temple courts, he says, and tell the other people about this new life. What's this new life? It's a life spent in obedience to God. It's a life in which we're trying to follow what Jesus did and continue on his ministry. And so then at a daybreak, we read that they entered the temple courts, as they'd been told, they began to teach the people. There's this theme of obedience throughout this whole passage. That's verse 21. And then later, we see these guys basically are pulled up in front of the courts. The um, Pharisees and the Sadducees go to jail to get them into the courts. They realize they're not in the jail anymore. They've gone back to the temple courts. They're preaching about Jesus again. They haul them into the courts and say, basically accuse them of going against what they told them to do. And they question them as a result. And the reply of the apostles is remarkable. So it says this in verse 27, they're brought in and they're made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. You're determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. And then Peter and the other apostles replied this, we must obey God rather than human beings. We must obey God rather than human beings. Now, if I was one of the apostles, I think I probably would have given up quite a while ago, particularly when you're faced with flogging or torture or being thrown in jail or the death sentence, as they were in these stories. So how is it that the disciples were so radically obedient to what they felt like God was telling them to do? Well, I think the key is in this strange little section at the end where Gamaliel basically stands up and explains what he thinks they should do, the religious authorities should do. He says this in verse 36. He says, some time ago, there was this guy called Theodas, and he claimed to be someone, and he had about 400 people following him at the time, but then he was killed, and the followers were dispersed. It came to nothing, he said. And then there's this guy called Judas, and he appeared in the days of the census. He led loads of people in a revolt as well. He too was killed, and his followers were scattered. Then he says this about the apostles. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But, he says, if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men you will only find yourself fighting against God. How is it that the disciples were so radically obedient to what they felt like God was telling them to do? It's because they found ultimate purpose. There was a direction to their life in which they were determined to reach the goal of, no matter what the consequences of being obedient on earth. They found this life of adventure, this life of meaning, this life of joy, this peace that wasn't to do with external, external circumstances, this peace that dwelt from within because they were living out the calling on their life. They were living out what it meant to be to be a Jesus follower. They'd made this discovery of what makes life worth living. And here's the point of this whole story today in Acts, and it's this. Ultimate purpose is only found when we're obedient to God. Ultimate purpose in our life is ultimately only found in obedience to God. You see, we're all looking for purpose. We're all looking for meaning 
in our lives. And we look for it in lots of different places. Some of us look for it in our career. We think if we live out this career and we achieve these goals in our career, then we will achieve the purpose and the meaning for our life. And in some sense, that's right, isn't it? But in some sense, also, that seems quite hollow, particularly when we reach the top of our career and we realize actually at the top, it doesn't seem to satisfy us deep within. Others of us find purpose in accumulating stuff. It becomes about money. It becomes about possession. And in some sense, that makes sense because the more we have, the more we feel like we're worth something and we have purpose but ultimately at the end of the road when we achieve all we want to achieve either there's always more we can have or we find it actually feels quite hollow at the top some of us find our purpose and our meaning in relationships and in one sense that makes perfect sense because it's in relationship that we experience love and in some sense life really is all about love particularly unconditional love but the problem with earthly relationships is in one sense at some point in our life they will always fail us See, the problem with all these kind of avenues of purpose and meaning that we have in our life, ultimately, they all are left wanting when it comes to ultimate purpose and ultimate meaning. They can't carry the burden. And so here's the Christian claim, and this is what the apostles and disciples are living out in Acts. The Christian claim is that God has a purpose for our life. And it probably involves what you're going to do with your career. It probably involves the relationships that you're going to have. It probably involves something along the lines of what you do with your time. But there's a greater overarching purpose, which is actually his purpose as opposed to ours. And the Christian claim is that there's nothing more exciting in life than living out the purposes of God. The Christian claim is that the fullness of life is found in following the purposes of God in our life. And how do we do it? We do it through obedience. The only way we can live out God's direction in our life is if we can hear the voice of God and be obedient to the voice of God. And the thing about obedience in Christianity is it's not about control to authority. It's not about blindly following what we feel like authority says that we should follow in a religious sense. It's not about a moral code. It's not about ticking off certain boxes because obedience in Christianity is step by step in relationship with God. It starts with relationship. It begins and it continues with relationship and it ends with relationship with God. It's exhilarating. It's not subject to our own selfish ambitions, our own dreams, our own desires. It's where we find ultimate purpose. And what we find is as we begin this journey of relationship with God, we find that his dreams start to become our dreams. And so therefore it actually fulfills what we feel like purpose should be in the first place. So how do we know what our ultimate purpose is? How do we actually follow the voice of God? Well, there's some sense in which, as Christians, there's a universal purpose. So biblically, as you look at the narrative of the Bible, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, there's a universal purpose that we all share, essentially. And that is really, when you look at the grand narrative of the Bible, it's of heaven coming to earth. So when Jesus teaches his followers to pray, he says, uh, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will, we're supposed to be obedient to the will of God. What's the will of God? The will of God is that heaven will come to earth. You see, the grand narrative, and I talk about this all the time here, the grand narrative of the Bible is that heaven and earth were never supposed to be separate. They were supposed to be one and the same place. And so ultimately, our grand narrative, the purpose in our lives is to see heaven come to earth and be reunited again to become one. And that's what we see the disciples doing. It's what the kingdom of God is all about in the Gospels. And it's what the church is all about. 
So in some sense, there's this universal purpose that we all share, but also there's a unique purpose, isn't there, in our lives? Because that's quite general, and in many ways, we can see that happen in tons of different avenues, depending on the decisions we make for our career, for our relationships, where we live, what we do. And so the key question for us as Christians is how do we define direction for our own lives? How do we do what we see the apostles do here and respond directly to the voice of God in our lives? And I think the only way the apostles did it in Acts was because they'd learned from Jesus who did it in the Gospels. And as you read the Gospels, you discover someone who is radically obedient to what he feels like God is telling him to do. You see, one of the common misconceptions with Jesus in the Bible is that the that Jesus was only able to do what he did because he was God. And in some sense, that's correct. Jesus was incarnate. He was God in flesh and human condition. But in some sense, that's also completely wrong because Jesus tells us, us as his disciples, as his followers, to do what he did. Our job as Christians is to become like Je- more like Jesus and then do what Jesus did. Now, that's incredibly hard to do because unless you're different from me, you're not God, I'm not God. And so therefore, it seems a bit unfair that Jesus tells us to do something that actually only he can do because he's divine, because he's God. So there must be more going on in the gospel narratives there. And there is, and theologians call it something called kenosis, which is essentially this idea of Jesus self-emptying himself of certain divine attributes so that he can as closely as possible identify with humans so that he can show what is it possible to do a human person to do when they're filled with the Holy Spirit and living out their purpose on earth and so obviously we see Jesus he doesn't empty himself with certain divine attributes like sinless perfection but in some sense he isn't omniscient he's not everywhere at once he doesn't know all things at all times he asks genuine questions in the gospels and the reason he does that is to model to us what it looks like to have a life of radical obedience to God. And the key to this whole thing is this amazing passage in John 5, where Jesus says this to his disciples. He's teaching them about relationship with God. What does it look like? What does it look like to be in relationship with God? And then he says this in John 5, by myself, I can do nothing. I only do what I see my father doing. By myself, I can do nothing. I only do what I see my father doing. So in some sense, Jesus is totally reliant on the direction of his father in order to be able to live out his purpose on earth. So the question for us is how do we see what God is doing in our lives? How are we able to discern his direction in our lives and then follow through so that we find this ultimate meaning and this ultimate purpose? Well, I often like to think of it as a bit like learning to see a new color in our life. Imagine that one day you wake up and say you go into work and one of your work colleagues just says to you, hey, I've got this amazing thing to show you. Come over here, she brings you over to the computer. Look at this color. And you look at this color and it's unlike any color you've ever seen in your life. It literally, it doesn't look like any color. It doesn't look like a mix of colors. It's a brand new color. Suddenly you see it and you're like, that is amazing. It's a totally new color. How have you even done that? And then from then on in your life, you go around your day and you start noticing this color everywhere. 
It's like it's popping out you. You're walking along the road. There's that new color again. You're going into your house, and there's that new color again. You're walking out in the park. There's that new color. Like, this is the weirdest thing. I didn't even know this color existed, but now I seem to have had my eyes open, and I see this new color. I think it's very similar when it comes to the direction of the Holy Spirit, because God doesn't leave us on our own when it comes to obedience. He gives us the Holy Spirit so that we know what we're looking for, and we know how to be obedient and what to be obedient to. And it's a little bit like seeing a new color and learning to spot it around us. It requires us to kind of start to begin to open our eyes to who God is, to what he's like, to what he does, and then follow in the direction. And the beauty of this new color, this new life in the spirit, as the apostles call it, the writers of the New Testament, is that we do it step by step. It's not as though we have the whole plan revealed to us right until the end so that we can actually just follow ABC. It's not like we're given a map of our lives. We're actually instead just given a guide, and the guide is the Holy Spirit. And so our ability to follow his will in our life is wholly dependent on our ability to connect in relationship with our Father through the Spirit, through Jesus. So we learn how to see what God is doing in our lives, and there's obvious ways we do this. There's obvious ways such as praying, so spending time in the presence of God, practicing what it means to spend time in the presence of God, practicing to actually leave space when we pray so that we hear the voice of God. Obviously, through the Bible, when we read the Bible, if we genuinely pray before we read the Bible, God, would you speak to me through this little passage that I'm about to read? God really will speak to you through it. You'll find that things jump out of the page and speak directly into your situation. We understand it through Christian understanding. So, for example, there's things and ways that God has done stuff in the past that he seems to be doing on repeat. For example, often healing is released through forgiveness. Like it just seems to be a common theme throughout Christianity. As we forgive people, we find that there's healing, emotional healing for us, but also in some sense, physical healing as well. There's a Christian understanding about patterns of the way God works that enables us to be obedient and follow his will. Also, he'll speak to us through sudden insight. It's like suddenly, if we're, commit, if we're literally um, submitted to the will of the Holy Spirit, we'll find that suddenly we um, hear from the Lord. It's like they just have this sudden insight or this sudden thought in our minds. Sometimes God speaks to us through dreams. I prefer to sleep, but some people are spoken to through dreams. What about knowing in our knower? Like Andy was talking to me about this the other day, this right side of the brain that none of us use. Is it the right side, Andy? Or is it the left side? Right side. None of intuition, knowing in our knower. We all talk about it. We don't know what it is. When you're submitted to the Holy Spirit, when you're full of the Holy Spirit, that knower, that intuition is vital in hearing the voice of God. Imagination, God speaks to us through pictures. It's commonly um, a waterfall. If you're Christian, it doesn't have to be rainbows. Please stop giving those pictures. No, you can. But God speaks to us through our imagination, through pictures, like he reveals things to us in our mind's eye. The still small voice of God. People talk about this all the time. Nobody really knows what it is, but there's this sense that God's speaking to us in the still small voice of God. Also, observation of reality. We see this throughout the Gospels. Jesus sees something in the physical, and in the supernatural, he basically sees God doing something else. Classic cases, he's praying on the side of the mountain. He's spending time with his father. He he basically is praying about followers. He's praying about disciples, comes down off the mountain, sees fishermen and says, come follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. They drop their nets and they follow him. They would never have dropped their nets if it wasn't something that God was doing. They drop their nets because he's seeing something in the natural and in a sense he's sensing the supernatural. What's God's doing in his life? And he's being obedient to it. But it all presupposes a life of prayer. It all presupposes that actually we're learning to hear the voice of God in our own private space. 
Why? Because obedience is all about relationship. What does it look like if we're radically obedient? Well, I would argue we find peace. I think one of the most remarkable things about the apostles and the disciples is that they experience awful persecution. This passage really is about the persecution they experience. But weirdly, they seem to come out of persecution rejoicing. Like That's the strangest end to this story. They get flogged and they come out rejoicing because they know they've obeyed God's will in their life. And I think there's a sense in which if we're obedient to the voice of the Holy Spirit, that actually external circumstances, although obviously they affect us, external circumstances affect our inner peace less and enables us to be secure and steady in what God is calling us to do and who God is calling us to be. And I think we find peace in the small things. I think there's a measure of obedience in relational issues which are incredibly minor, but actually major when it comes to finding inner peace. Like, for example, choosing to forgive. We're told in the Bible to forgive when we're wronged. It doesn't make the thing that's been done to us like any, like, good it's not it's bad it was wrong it shouldn't be done but as Christians we're told to forgive and as we're obedient in that even though so often we don't actually want to do it what we find is the Holy Spirit on our behalf helps us in order to be able to release all the pain and the hurt that whatever is done to us has caused and therefore we find peace again it's choosing to love people it's choosing to pray for people so in some sense we find inner peace but in another sense we also find calling we find this ultimate purpose We find that we make decisions based on what we feel like God's asking us to do as opposed to what we feel like is actually the wisdom that we should follow or the wisdom of our peers or the wisdom of society. And in a sense, we start to live out the purposes of God in our lives. One of the privileges I have of being a church leader is I hear um, a lot of stories of people wrestling with big decisions in their life. They often come to me and say, I don't know what to do. I've got a situation here and I could do A or B and I really have no idea which one to do, but I need God's wisdom and God's direction. And every time when I hear someone do that and they go back into that private place, into that place of prayer with God, they ask God to help them make the decision, help them have peace in the decision they make. It's an absolute privilege to see what God does with their obedience. It's an absolute privilege to see the way God redeems situations, to see the way God helps that person find ultimate calling and ultimate forgiveness. But it doesn't mean there isn't a cost. It doesn't mean that there aren't times where we are obedient to what we feel like God's telling us to do, but actually in a human sense, there's a cost as a result. But it does mean that we find ultimate purpose. It does mean that we find inner peace. It does mean that we actually begin to live out that calling that God has on all of our lives, to see the kingdom of heaven come on earth and to see heaven and earth reunited again so that his purposes are throughout the whole of the world. And so there's probably a number of us here this morning at different stages in this. There'll be those of us who are still learning to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and we are all at that point at different stages throughout our Christian life. And in a sense for us, it's actually just learning to see that color. It's learning to spot the voice of God, the activity of God so that we can follow what God is doing. There'll be some of us here who are actually trying to make key decisions in our life and we really need the direction of the Holy Spirit in order to be able to know what to do in those decisions. There'll be some of us here who struggle with this idea of a 
disobedience, probably because you've had horrible experiences of authority figures in the past, and as a result of experience, you've experienced manipulation, obedience, sorry, you've experienced manipulation and hurt, and therefore we need God's healing, essentially, so that we can be obedient to him, who is always for us, who will never be against us. And so as we stand now, and as we ask the Holy Spirit to come, why don't you just picture or just offer to God what it is that you're coming to him for this morning? Is it to hear more of his voice? Is it for some sort of answer or direction in a key decision? Is it because you struggle with this idea of obedience? Is it because you want God to essentially bring to life purpose and meaning in your life once again? So let's do that now. Let's stand. We're just going to spend some time waiting on the Holy Spirit.